Dave, uh, just tell you a little bit about me. Uh, Casey, my wife, we've been married almost 20 years and uh, love her to pieces. Uh, we are um, uh, very much opposites in some ways. So I find I'm, I tend to be kind of a little bit of an idealist. Uh, she likes to think of herself more of as a realist, okay? We decided early on that it's not that I'm an optimist and she's a pe- pessimist. That's not the case at all. I'm an idealist and she's a realist. So what I mean by that is I tend to kind of just assume everything will be okay. You know, we're heading up to a concert in Chicago, so we're driving up there. She's asking me, have you figured out where we're going to park? I oh, will find somewhere. It's Soldier Field. I'm sure there's parking around. We'll, we'll be fine. She's like, Dave, you, you need to plan this stuff out. I'm the guy who, when we're driving to the airport, I know it says two hours to check in, but we'll, if it's an hour, we'll be okay. I'm sure we'll be fine. I'm getting pizza out of the fridge, leftover pizza. How long have we had this? A week? Yeah, she'll, she'll be like, you shouldn't really eat that. I'll be like, that's fine. I'll just microwave it a bit longer. I'm sure it'll be okay. I'll, I'll, so I'm the idealist. I'm just assume everything will be all right. And she kind of keeps me grounded. Uh, she's kind of more like, no, Dave, you need to think this through. So, so we work really well together. But the thing that's great about Case is even though she's a realist, uh, she's not kind of really kind of pessimistic. And Because uh, some people can be like that, can't they? Have you ever met someone who, uh, it's not that they're a realist. I mean, they just kind of bring it down all the time. Have you ever met someone like that? Maybe they look a little bit like this. You might know this gal. Hey, can you pass some of that turkey? Oh, it looks juicy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought it was all mine. <laughs> Boy, the traffic was a disaster coming up, huh? Oh, yeah. Nothing compared to the disaster the Chinese are going through. <laughs> what? They're still digging out from typhoon season just in time for the bird flu to take even more lives. Uh, who wants some more wine? I'd love some. Okay. Hey, do you guys think the pilgrims brought a bottle of Pinot Grigio to the first Thanksgiving? <laughs> I'll tell you what the pilgrims did bring, smallpox. It killed scores of Native Americans, ravaging their population. And that was before we got around to shattering their spirit. I'm sure every one of you knows someone. Maybe there's a Debbie Downer in your life, someone who just thinks they're going great, and then suddenly they just say something like, seriously? But did you know, did you know there's actually a guy in the Bible who wrote um, a book in the Bible, we're going to take a look at this morning, who was a little bit of a Debbie Downer? That there was actually this book he wrote that kind of had this, this feel to it. His name was Solomon. Okay, now Solomon, uh, it's, it's thought of Solomon, he was one of the wisest people that ever lived. He was the son of King David. And if you remember David, he was the David that, that killed Goliath. David, this great man uh, with a heart after God. And he had a son by the name of Solomon. And Solomon grew up to become the king of Israel, a very wise man. And and he was so wise. If you ever read just a a small portion of the book of Proverbs, you could read any part of it. It's a wonderful book. You'll just be amazed at the depth and the insight and the wisdom that this man had. Proverbs that were written thousands of years ago and yet still are relevant and apply to us today. But Solomon, he wrote another book as well. And this other book he wrote was called Ecclesiastes. And if you read Ecclesiastes, it's a little bit of a Debbie Downer book. If you read it, Solomon's kind of sharing his thoughts on what life is like. And and he has this kind of theme that runs through the book of Ecclesiastes. 
In fact, in the very verse, first part of Ecclesiastes, he explains why he's even writing it in the first place. In Ecclesiastes 1.13, he says this, I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. So he says, I, I had this plan to write this book to kind of devote myself to trying to figure out everything that goes on under heaven here on earth. If you could sum up the book of Ecclesiastes in one phrase, it would be this. Everything is meaningless under the sun. Everything is meaningless under the sun. That's, that's kind of his philosophy throughout this book. He just talks about the futility of life, how we work hard and, and um, we're born, we live, we die. And, and he just, it's kind of a miserable book. And as you read it, you kind of wonder why it's even in the Bible. You think, God, why would you let a book like this be in the Bible? Because it kind of is a bit of a Debbie Downer. It's not really a fun read, but the author, Chuck Swindoll, he does a great job of kind of explaining why this book was written by Solomon. Listen to how he kind of sums up the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, life is destined to remain unsatisfying apart from our recognition of God's intervention. It only remains to be seen whether or not we will place our trust in him Sorry, in his sure and able hands. You see, Solomon uses this phrase a lot throughout this book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun. This happens under the sun. I was looking at this situation that took place under the sun. And you realize as you go through the book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon is writing his experience of life under the sun. The sun that tomorrow will disappear for an hour in the middle of the day. Pretty exciting, huh? Solar eclipse tomorrow. But Solomon's talking about the sun because he's referencing the fact that God exists above the sun. So he's kind of taking God out of the equation here. He's saying, when you think about life on earth without God, it's meaningless. And his whole writing here in the book of Ecclesiastes is this idea that without God, life is meaningless. And this morning, I want to look at something he wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes that will tie in with our, our goal to move. We've just started a new series last week called Move. And the whole idea of the series is that I believe that God wants us to move. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, there may be some of you here this morning, and you're, you're on a bit of a spiritual journey. You're exploring the things of, of God. Maybe you've not yet fully um, invested in this. Maybe you're still kind of kicking the tires if you want, and, and you're trying to figure out whether you believe this. And, but you're on a journey, and you could be stuck in a particular spot right now. And I'm hoping and praying that through these series, God will do something, will maybe help you move a little bit closer to the direction of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've got a relationship. You've, you've discovered Jesus. He's a part of your life. But if you're honest with yourself, you're at a place where maybe you've been for a while. And maybe through this series, God will challenge you, will inspire you to move closer to him, to move in your relationship with him. In fact, my prayer throughout this whole series is that every one of you will feel some kind of holy discontent just some kind of discontentment, just dissatisfaction with just staying where you are. That there'll be a desire wherever it is in your, in your spiritual journey, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your, uh, maybe it's your job, your career, whatever it is, that there'll be something in you that just wants to move, that doesn't want to settle, that doesn't want to stay where you are. 
So this morning, we're going to look at something that Solomon said in Ecclesiastes that I think is going to really help you if you are inclined to want to move this morning. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, and it says this, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Who am I giving up so much pleasure? Um, Sorry, why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all meaningless and depressing. And then he discovers this truth. He says, two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easy to break. It's not easily broken. Solomon is saying here that there is, in this, this meaningless existence, in this life, that without God seems to have no purpose, there is kind of a, a ray of light here that maybe, maybe at least through life, we can, we can experience something in community. We can be a part of a relationship with other people, and maybe that will make a difference. Because did you know this morning that when it comes to making a move in your life, when it comes to making a change, when it comes to saying, you know what, I want to change this area of my life, it's, it's not easy to do that alone. Or let me flip that around. Maybe, maybe it's easier to do it with someone else. Things get a little bit easier when you do it with someone else. I'll give you an example. About three or four years ago, I uh, decided at the beginning of the year, you know what, I'm going to do a half marathon. I don't run normally, okay, but I just thought, you know what, that's on my bucket list. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can do a half marathon. So I started to run and practice and practice, and I had this little circuit that I did. It was like a four-mile, no, it was a three-mile circuit, and it involved leaving my house, running around down the bike trail, um, around a school, and coming back to my house. And by the end of my training, I was just running that circle four times. It was so boring, I would listen to, I mean, some of you runners, you've got headphones on, you listen to the Rocky theme tune or whatever it is that pumps you up. I was listening to books on tape, okay, because I was so bored out there running. I just wanted to at least learn something while I was running, so I'd listen to books on. But I'm just running around in circles for 12 miles. I remember one day getting home and looking at my watch and realized I've been out running for an hour and a half. I thought I could have watched a whole movie if I'd stayed home. That was such a long time just to be gone running. Now, I know there's like a fitness and health benefit, yeah, yeah. But... Uh, but then the day came, Indianapolis, I went to do this half marathon. And you know what was fascinating? I arrived there, and there were thousands of people running this race. And as I was walking to where the race was going to start, and I'm seeing all these people, I was just, you know, some adrenaline started pumping. excited to get excited. It was a different feel than my normal circle around the block by myself and my book on tape. Book on tape. It was a CD. It wasn't even a CD, wasn't it? Forget it. Um, <laughs> just showing my age there. So the race starts, and now you're running with thousands of people lined up and down the streets. So people cheering and waving, and there's flags, there's bands playing, and it was a totally different feel. For that first mile, I was like, this is awesome. This is amazing. Running with other people is so much better than running alone. It was just a really cool feeling. 
Now, the next 12.1 miles were miserable, um, but that first mile was great, okay? And um, the truth is that like many things in life, when you try to do something on your own, it's a very different experience, isn't it, than when you do it with someone else. There's accountability, there's encouragement. And I think if you're going to set yourself a move goal through this series, then I think part of the key to being able to accomplish that is finding some community. That's what Solomon's talking about here in Ecclesiastes. So how does being a part of community help you move? Well, just the fact that you're here this morning already puts you ahead of some. Just the fact that you're here this morning in a group of people sat in a middle school gymnasium has already set you apart from some people outside of this building right now. Because the reason you're here, now some of you may have been dragged here, but for the most part, the reason you're here is because there is a part of you that would like to see some improvement in your life, would like to see that maybe, um, maybe the Bible teaches on a subject, or maybe there's something that can help me be a better husband, a better wife, a better employer or employee, um, whatever it may be. But I, I want to see some change in my life. So you're a part of a community together that's making that happen. But even coming here for an hour on a Sunday morning is just scratching the surface of what God really wants to do in your life in the area of community. Because it's quite easy, isn't it, to come here on a Sunday and and sit out there in the darkness and, and maybe zip out afterwards without talking to too many people. But the community that Solomon's talking about, that looks different. That's more than just a Sunday morning experience. That's that's connecting with other people. Other people who may be in the same stage that you're at or who are on a similar journey trying to learn more about who Jesus was and what he taught and how we can still make a difference in our lives today. How can I experience that? If you want to move, if you want to see change in life, it's a lot easier to see that happen in community than on your own. And that's what Solomon was talking about. Listen to what he said. We're going to read it again. Verse 9. He says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails, falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I think that this morning, for some of you, the only way you're going to be able to move out of your current situation... Some of you have this desire to move out of your current situation. The only way you're going to be able to do that is with the help of a friend. The only way you're going to be able to succeed is with the help of a friend. Now, for some of you, that's going to be hard to acknowledge this morning, especially you guys in the room. Us guys, we don't want to admit that we need help, do we? We, we get the furniture, it arrives in the box, and we open it up, and there's that sheet on top, and we're like, sheet instructions, <laughs> like, I need that. I can put this together, and we do. We put it all together, and we just assume that those three screws and that one washer that are left, they must have been spare. I'm sure they weren't needed for anything else. I put my furniture together and I say to my wife, look at that. She's like, are you sure that's right? It'll be fine because I'm an idealist. (laughs) But for us, maybe guys, maybe ladies here this morning, we have that tendency, don't we, to think, you know, I can do this on my own. I don't need help. I don't want to admit that I need help. It doesn't help that we live in a society that kind of celebrates that mentality, that I can do this alone. It's about me. It's about my pursuit of what I need to do. I was at a conference earlier this week, and um, there was a leadership conference, and they were talking about, this business leader was talking about uh, what success really looks like. 
He said, it's sad. He goes, I meet with CEOs and businessmen across the country, and the, the axiom goes, what do you call a man who has three failed marriages, is estranged from his kids, and makes over a million dollars a year? A success. That's sad, isn't it? That our culture kind of puts these people up on pedestals and says, look at that guy. Yeah, he may have been through several marriages. He may have kids from different people, estranged from some, but look at how well he's doing. And, and sadly, that's kind of the benchmark of success. Success is measured by what we do instead of who we are. And I think for many of us here this morning, we, we kind of get caught up in that. We're driven forwards. And the truth is that we maybe recognize some of those things in our lives. We recognize that some change needs to take place. Maybe we recognize that there's some movement that needs to take place. But for that to happen, it's going to mean reaching out to someone else, asking for help. And that's difficult to do because we've isolated ourselves. And Solomon said, listen, I get this. Solomon had all the wisdom and all the wealth. Some of us spend our lives climbing this ladder, never to reach the top. Solomon reached the top, and he realized that this is meaningless outside of a relationship with God. This is meaningless unless you have relationships with others to enjoy this. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Two people can help each other succeed. Likewise, he said in verse 11, the second thought I had this morning is that two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Now, presumably, Solomon here is talking about uh, two people together in the context of a relationship, maybe the context of a marriage. Because obviously, one of the, the benefits of being married is that now you can sleep together and keep one another warm at night. That is, of course, if your uh, spouse likes to spoon or is comfortable, you know, kind of getting close to you at night. Some of you, that may be like, get away. Get on your side of the bed. Stop pulling the sheets. We have some friends, Casey and I, who uh, they're quite proud of this. They have a king-size bed and two completely separate covers. Two completely separate sets of sheets. It saved their marriage, they say. Because <laughs> they're sleeping together, but they're completely independent with regards to the blankets. I was telling Kate this story last night, and uh, she's, uh, I said, that's, that's true, right? She goes, yeah, that's, that's true. She goes, it's not a bad idea. She goes, do you know, sometimes you pull the because I'm like this. I like, I'm, <laughs> this is way too much. She's like, wait a minute, sorry. I like a burrito. I like just like pulling the covers real tight. She's like, sometimes you do that, and she'll like, I'll wake up, and it's like squashing my face. <laughs> there you go. That's a little information. I've, I've really gone off topic here. <laughs> but Solomon... <laughs> Solomon's saying, you know, one of the benefits of being in relationship is, is keeping one another warm. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to move, how, how does that help us if we're, we're looking to move? Well, I had this thought with regards to that phrase. You know, I actually believe, and I want to be careful as I'm teaching this series, because I know I can kind of be very uh, trying to motivate you to move and to, you know, get out of this situation you're in and move to here. And, and I'm very aware of the fact that there are some of you here this morning that may say, Dave... I would love to move. I would love to move out of where I find myself right now. There is nothing in me that wants to be in the position that I'm in right now. But unfortunately, sadly, I'm not in full control of the place that I'm in. 
Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a relationship situation. Maybe it's a, uh, something going on at work. And, and everything in you wants to move. But, the, but right now, there are things outside of your control. And you're, you're kind of stuck in this place. And it's not an enjoyable place to be. I think what Solomon is saying here, when he says two people are better than one, when he says that two people lying close together can keep each other warm. You know, some of you this morning, you may not be able to move from where you are right now. But I want to encourage you, there is someone who could keep you warm during this moment. If you'll allow it, there is someone who could come alongside you and encourage you and support you and pray with you. Maybe hug you, maybe literally keep you warm. But I don't want you going through these situations alone. Even though I want every one of us to move and not stay stuck in one place. There may be some of us here this morning that we're stuck because of situations beyond our control. And I think Solomon is saying here that even in that situation, God doesn't want us to do this alone. He wants us to be in relationship with others. You see, a big part of what Solomon addresses in this book of Ecclesiastes is human suffering. And one writer I came across when I was preparing for this message, he said it like this. He said, when talking about Ecclesiastes, he said, In the context of human suffering, those with friends are better off than those who are alone. In the context of human suffering, those with friends are better off than those who are alone. I'd love to say this morning that God wants to come and just, you know, wave a, a magic wand and all your problems will disappear. But sadly, in this lifetime, that doesn't always happen. But you're not alone. You don't have to be alone. It may take a step on your part to reach out to a friend, to someone you trust, and say, hey, can we meet and grab a cup of coffee? Can I share what's going on in my life right now? And that may not be easy. But when Solomon talks about the advantage of two people being close together to keep each other warm, I think God has put people in your life that he wants, that, that are able to keep you warm through this cold time that you're going through. But it might take you asking for that help. You know, he also said this, didn't he? He said, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. You know, the other advantage to not doing life alone, to being a part of a community, is that a friend can move you to a better place. A friend can move you to a better place. It's true. When, you, when you're in community, when you're in a relationship with others, sometimes that friend can help take you to somewhere that you could not have got by yourself. I came across um, an article last year that was fascinating. And uh, it was this author, and he was talking about this idea that back in the 80s, there was this commercial on TV. I'm, I'm assuming it was American TV, so I'm not familiar with it. Maybe you saw it. But it was a, an, an anti-drugs commercial. It was a public service announcement to try and stop people from doing drugs. And, and, and what it was, it was this commercial based on this uh, experiment that had been done with these rats. And they basically put a rat in a cage, and they gave him two water bottles. So this rat was alone in this cage, two bottles of water to drink from. One was regular tap water. The other was water laced with like either heroin or cocaine. And in this experiment, the rat would start to go every time to the drug-laced water. Again and again, became addicted, then finally died. And the, the commercial was like, you don't want to be like this rat. Don't start, because once you start, you'll get addicted, and this will kill you. And I think that's true. I think drugs are bad. I think they are addictive and they can kill you. But there was another psychologist who, who was aware of this experiment, and he had a different thought. 
he thought, I want to try something a little bit different because I'm not convinced that the only problem here is the drug-laced water. He says, I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that this rat is alone and isolated in this cage. I want to try something different. So he, he created Rat Park, okay? Rat Park was this wonderful environment for rats to be together. It was like the Disney World for rats. It had tubes and colored balls, and, and most importantly, it had other rats. It was a community of rats. And in this same experiment, this guy put two bottles of water. One was tap water. The other was laced with either cocaine or heroin. He says in Rat Park, significantly less ever tried the drug water. They would try it, but then they'd go back to the other water. His conclusion was that in isolation, it caused these rats to turn to this addictive behavior. But in community, their behavior changed. They were obviously using rats to do this experiment, but they were trying to say that we think this plays a part in humans as well. That many of the problems people face in life are because of their, their choosing to be in isolation, to separate themselves. Another person who agreed with his findings was a professor by the name of Peter Cohen. He said this, Peter Cohen argues that human beings have a deep need to bond and form connections. It's how we get our satisfaction. If we can't connect with each other, we will connect with anything we can find. The whir of a roulette wheel or the prick of a syringe. He was making this point that, that we were designed to be connected with others. I think Solomon figured this out as the, the wise man that he was. That, that yes, life can be meaningless, but two are better than one. That this relationship with one another, this community, this actually could help us move. It could help us in our move goals. Being a part of a community can move you to a safer place. So how do we do this at Connect? How do we do this at Connect? I want to get real practical here this morning, because I know last week we talked kind of about the why should you move. Last week was kind of the introduction, so I hope that we kind of sowed that introduction there, sowed those seeds of the, the, um, the fact that God doesn't want you to stay still in one place for, for a long period of time. He wants us to move. And this morning we're talking about the idea of, you know, one of the ways that will help you move is by being a part of a community, by being in relationship with others. And I've already talked about the fact that while this is great on a Sunday morning, you're just scratching the surface. So here's the real practical application of my message this morning. We have here at Connect, many of them run right now, these things called Connect groups. Small groups that run here at our church. Small groups that take place outside of a Sunday morning. Some of them are guys who meet together and maybe read a book together or talk about life and relationship. Others are couples meeting in homes, talking about parenting and family. There are some ladies who meet during the week and uh, go through books together and Bible studies. These groups are a big part of Connect Church. And in fact, if you've been coming for a while but you're just coming on a Sunday morning, then maybe the move goal for you, maybe what it's going to take for you to move to the next level is, is to be really brave and say, you know what? I think I'm going to join one of these groups. 
Now, I have to constantly remind myself. So I grew up going to church um, from the age of 18, 19 years old onwards. I, was, uh, I became a follower of Jesus. And, and most of the churches I've been a part of have had some kind of small group um, environment. So before I was married and then since we've been married, we've been a part of a lot of small groups. And we've loved it. We actually can tell story after story of how they've changed our lives and our marriage and our family because we've been in relationship with other people. Some of the, the things I've talked about this morning, um, we've seen happen in our own family because of the small groups we've been a part of. But I have to keep remembering that I'm used to this, that when I talk about small groups, for some of you, you might think, that just freaks me out. It took everything in me just to come here on a Sunday. Like, I can't believe that six months ago, if you'd have told me I could be sat in a church each Sunday, I'd be like, not me. And here I am. And now you're saying, I've got to join a small group. I've got to go to someone's house with a bunch of strangers, and start talking about myself. I, I don't want to do that. And I get it. I understand that this is a big ask to make, but I can, I'm convinced that for some of you, this will be the move goal that you need. This will move you in a direction that will get you closer to Jesus, that will help you grow in your relationship with him, will maybe answer some of those questions that you still are having a hard time figuring out. I actually met with a couple recently, and uh, I had the great privilege of being involved in their, their wedding, and we were talking about you know, life together and marriage counseling and this kind of thing. And I said, hey, guys, I said, one of the great things um, we found as a married couple is being a part of a, a small group. Because for us, that's really helped us. We've been able to talk to other married couples and navigate through the, the challenges of being married. And, and uh, these folks said, you know, we've heard you talk about small groups, but we just weren't sure. And we've never really done anything like that. And, and we thought maybe we couldn't go because we don't know enough about the Bible. And I said, oh, you can absolutely go. There's, you don't need to know a certain amount. You don't, the whole purpose behind our small groups is to create places of community where you can gather and you can be free to talk and share and, and maybe be vulnerable if you want. We had a small group just recently in our house, and, and one of the couples said, this is the first time we've ever been in a position where we've talked about our faith and about our belief in God. We've gone to church for a long time. We've never really sat with other couples and really talked about this. And it was brilliant. We watched these couples grow in their journey and their relationship with God. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to get real practical, okay? Because Andy Brown, our new Connections pastor, he is uh, kind of over the whole small group area, and he's been working very hard over the last month or so to, to prepare our small group platform for the fall. So we've got a lot of new small groups we're going to start. We've got some small groups with availability for people to join. So here's what we're going to do right now. You can pull up that next slide. You can pull up the lights if you wouldn't mind. We're going to pause for a moment in the service, Okay. We're going to pause for a moment. The lights are going to come back up, and you've got a couple of options. You can text that number. You can go to the app, and you can click Connect Group. But I want you to pause this morning. Now, Now, there's a form you can fill out, and if you fill that form out, that doesn't commit you to being in a group. It's not like next week you're going to get a phone call, and you've got to show up at someone's house. This is just saying, I'm interested in learning more about small groups. So the reason it's on the app, that's great. So right now you could pull your phone out and you could just be on Facebook. I'd never know, okay? So, but if I see you with your phone, I'll assume you're signing up for information on a small group. But I want to pause in the service and give you a chance because I think for some of you this morning, as I've been talking about this idea of movement, something in you has stirred a little bit and you've thought, you know, I am kind of isolated. 
Maybe some of these things I'm facing is because I'm, I'm withdrawing instead of pushing in to relationships with others. I would like to, to get a little bit deeper in, in my relationship with God. I would like to get to know more people that connect. I'd like to feel like it's not just a Sunday morning. Now, some of you here this morning, maybe you're like, okay, so my phone doesn't have a screen. It's just a flip phone. And so how do I join a small group or how do I find out more? Well, we do have some paper Okay, that you could fill out as well. So I'm going to ask Chris if you wouldn't mind just standing up. If there's anyone would rather just fill out some, uh, your name and uh, contact info, just put your hand up. Chris will see you. He'll bring you a piece of paper. But I'm going to take three minutes here, and I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to give you a chance to sign up for a group. All right. Hopefully that was long enough. Um, you can go to the, uh, if you've never downloaded the Connect Church app, uh, you can find it in the App Store, Connect Washington. We use it a lot here at the church, and there is a button right on there for groups. You can click that, and you can fill that out anytime, or you can just text that word groups to that number. So I'm going to wrap up here um, now, but I just, you know, this is a, a four-week series. We've got two more weeks, and I did want to just say this. You know, I, I realize that for some of you, you may think, man, I'm just still not sure if I'm ready. Now, this is a big part of the culture of Connect Church, and I hope at some point you find your way into some kind of group where you can grow and learn more about God, and, uh, but maybe you're not there yet. And I want to tell you that over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some other ideas and some other areas that will help if you have a desire to move, if you have a desire to grow, if you have a desire to, to move from where you are to somewhere else. So it's not just in groups, but I have to tell you, because I've experienced in my own life, this is a great place to grow. Taking that step, and maybe you've been coming for a long time to Connect Now and you enjoy the Sunday mornings, but this is, this is where the experience for you ends. Just getting into an intentional environment like that, a, a small group together to talk about God, to talk about, um, to maybe answer some questions you've got. And they are safe places. They're safe places to go. There's no one's going to judge you and there's no one going to think any less of you. People are going to be in these groups at all various stages of their journey. And you may find that you join a group and it just isn't really for you. You don't click and maybe you need to try a couple of different groups before you find the one that really is a fit for you. But I do think that through groups, through that connection, you'll experience that growth. Because Solomon finishes off with one last thought, doesn't he, on relationships. He says that three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. You know, every time I've read that verse, I think of, um, for, for Casey and I in our marriage, that that third cord is, is Jesus. He is a part of our lives. He's the center of our lives, the center of our marriage. I love that picture of the three-braided uh, cord not being easily broken, that he brings some strength to our marriage that, that just the two of us alone without him wouldn't experience. You know, groups are great, but when you gather in a group and the purpose is to add Jesus to that group, it could be a guy's group just sharing about different things. It could be a, a ladies' group, a couple's group, or whatever the group may be, but just gather around the purpose of, of wanting to explore Jesus, who he is, how he can make a difference in my life. It becomes like a three-braided cord, not easily broken. There's a great um, account in Luke. Luke's telling us um, uh, about Jesus post-resurrection after he's died and risen again. He's talking about these two guys who are walking along the road, and they're, they're having a conversation with one another about all that's just gone on with the crucifixion and with this guy Jesus, and they're just amazed by it all. And suddenly they're joined by a third person. 
And Luke tells about how this conversation ensued between the three of them. And they don't realize that the third person is Jesus risen from the dead. That he's there involved in their conversation. In fact, it's not actually until after he leaves or to the end of their, their, their journey that they realize, they discover who he is. And listen to what they say in Luke 24, 32. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? As he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. Didn't our hearts burn in us? I'd love to see you in an environment where you can gather with other people. Because out of your desire to move, you you gather with other people to talk about Jesus. That he will be in the midst and you will sense that your heart's burning within you. Your heart's burning within you. As you move in your journey, as you move to, to grow closer to him, to become more like him. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thanks so much for everyone that's here this morning, Lord. And I just pray, as we've talked about this idea of move, Lord, I do pray for that holy discontentment that, that you would put within every one of us, that desire to not just settle for where we are, but to want to move forward and to grow in our relationship with you and to learn more about you. And for some of us, Lord, that's going to have to uh, be in the context of a relationship because we've been coming here on a regular basis. Um, but to really kind of move, to go to that next level, it's going to take us taking that brave step of stepping into a new relationship, into a new group where we can learn more about you or we can experience with other couples, with other individuals, Lord, what it means to be a follower of you. Lord, I want us to be in places where our hearts burn because we are aware of your presence in our lives, your presence in our groups. So help us find that that, um, authentic community here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.